This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey guys, my name is Jeff Felton. I am an email marketing strategist and copywriter, and I work with service-based professionals to help them develop email marketing strategies that don't feel gimmicky and that feel authentic and help them drive more leads and streamline their businesses. Awesome. Jeff, thank you for being here. I think this is such a, there's so many things that I want to follow up just from your intro. Just to begin with, we're going to talk about email marketing today, obviously, and it seems like a very narrow area that you would kind of focus your your work on. So I want to start with that. But before we do that, I want to say that the title for today's show is Why Does Email Marketing Work for Law Firms? <laughs> so it kind of ties right in. <laughs> so let's start with why, how, why and how did you decide to narrow it down just to email marketing instead of, you know, I could do email, I could do social media, you know, wh- why are you kind of so, so narrow in, in the kind of work that you do? Yeah, well, believe it or not, I actually started really broad. So I think it was 2018 that I started kind of pivoted my career, if you will, into full time into marketing. And I went to StoryBrand and became a StoryBrand certified guide and learned how to copyright. And so yeah, so I, I really started as as a copywriter, and I did all the copywriting things, um, from websites to emails to ads to, you know, brand messaging, like just all that kind of stuff. And it was really, really, you know, I mean, I guess that's where everybody starts. Everybody kind of starts at a very general place and then just kind of refines as you go. So in 2021, I decided that it would be best for me to narrow that focus a little bit. So I decided to focus on email marketing. But even then, I still, after a year or so, I realized I was still kind of get lo- getting lost in a sea of noise. Uh, there's, Believe it or not, there are so many email marketers out there. I mean, there are, there are tons. So I felt myself that, that my messaging was really kind of generic because I was speaking to everybody. Um, so I decided last year, kind of in the summer or fall, to really kind of narrow down and just start working with service-based brands and really kind of specifically working around the welcome sequence. Well, let's, but I think that's really important to differentiate, like just to start, the difference between email, sorry, service-based businesses and it sounds like what you were doing before probably had some e-commerce and, you know, other kinds of businesses. Like, and combining that with what you said earlier, I don't want to like forget, I made a little bookmark in my brain about you mentioned kind of keeping the emails from sounding gimmicky. And I think this is maybe, not maybe, I know that this is a hurdle for a lot of people to start with email campaigns because they think they think about all those kind of spammy Black Friday emails you get like endlessly, especially from e-commerce places that have got your email address and they're like, buy the face lotion, buy the face lotion now. Did you buy the face lotion? Buy it now. They send you 14 (laughs) emails a day. So that's one approach that everybody's very familiar with. And that's e-commerce and gimmicky, like you said. So how is how is your approach different that it's not gimmicky? And why is that different for service? 
Yeah, you know, when I kind of started as a copywriter and I, you know, I was doing some email campaigns and I was really kind of following a lot of like templated cookie cutter sequences and formulas and just kind of thinking that one size fits all. And the further I got, the more I kind of niched down or niche, niche, whatever, the more (laughs) I narrowed, (laughs) we'll say, we'll say narrowed, the more I narrowed down, the more I realized that it's not, it's not cookie cutter and that there is an approach for e-commerce and that's where you know a lot of those emails can feel real gimmicky like you said and you know those are the kind of emails that people think about or business owners think about when they don't want to do email marketing they say i don't want to be like that i don't want to flood people's inboxes or annoy them with stuff like that and the truth is that you know those kind of emails fit an e-commerce model that's what you, I mean, it's very, you know, quantity driven, product based. And so there's a lot of tactics and, you know, trends and, you know, whims and stuff like that. But with a service based business, uh, that business is really built on relationships and conversations and trust and sales cycles and those kinds of things. And so my philosophy with a service based brand is, is really to use email simply as a tool to do more of the things that you're already doing to use it as a tool to build trust with people who might be interested to kind of play. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of different ways that you can, uh, can you give give it to me in like a sentence and a half? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I can, I can. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good exercise for me though, Karin. Okay. So the best way, the best ways to use email as a tool to earn trust are through generosity and social proof. Okay. All right. I am going to bookmark that little clip right there. Generosity and social proof. So the combination of generosity and social proof. Let's okay, let's let's define what that means. What now we can unpack that. that. Yeah, now we've got more sentences. (laughs) Okay. All right. So obviously social proof is, you know, social proof is king. The more you can inject social proof, and I'm I don't just mean testimonials of you know, such and such was so great to work with and we just love them. And like, that's, that's okay. But like the real gold for social proof is when you can tell stories, when you can tell stories of your clients and the transformation that you help people achieve. And so those are fantastic. Let me just jump in really quick, because what about, you know, we work with some lawyers who can't, you know, for, for privacy reasons, they can't tell They can't, you know, kind of tell the details of a specific case. So I know what we usually kind of say in those cases, but what what do you say in the case where they can't specifically, they can't go into the specifics? Can they change the name? Yeah, well, what we usually say is like, just go generic. So kind of like what you see in in like documentaries, like the names of the people have been changed to protect the innocent or whatever whatever that disclaimer is. But, But generally speak to the result instead of the people. So we had this case, such and such thing happened to a, a certain person, they were injured in a certain way. And then this was the result that we got f- for them. And so that you're kind of talking more about the result than like, it was John Smith that lives three doors down from you. And he doesn't want us to tell you <laughs> like, obviously, you have to kind of, you know, protect the protect the names of certain people and stuff. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously modify the details so that you're, you know, not breaking any code of ethic or anything, but but, you know, you're right. Yes, you know, share the result, the outcome, you know, and you could even one of my philosophies with email is to to be human 
And part of being human is to be honest and transparent. And so I think it's perfectly acceptable. This is where, you know, we kind of have like a misconception about marketing and, and especially email marketing that we have to sound so professional and we have to sound so smart and corporate-y. But the truth is, the more genuine and transparent and honest we are, the more we're going to connect with people. And the more we connect with people, the more that leads to trust, which leads to business. Where was so I going along with that? those lines, where how do you feel about the language when it comes to, I mean, there's an extreme where they're corporate they're using the legal, legal language that nobody even understands what you're saying. And they're going so far off the deep end where they're basically trying to say, I went to law school. And that's all they're trying to say. I'd like, I went to law school. I have a degree and I spent a lot of money versus going too far in the other direction where they're using like slang and, you know, getting to, kind of a little too comfortable. Where's, where's the kind of right place to land. Yeah, it depends on your audience, right? You know, to be to be frank with you, there is a law firm here in in town where I live and they have billboards everywhere and they're awful. I mean, they're so they're so bad and we always talk about these billboards when we drive by them. And, you know, but they've been there for I mean, they've been doing it for years, you know. And so we keep thinking like, "Oh my gosh, when are they going to learn that like these are terrible. And it finally just dawned on us one day that maybe that's what their target audience resonates with. Maybe that's what their audience likes and they respond to that. So I would say the sweet How spot is... How are they is awful? What's, what's, what makes them so awful? Just super cheesy. Um, you know, like we'll be a gladiator for you and, you know, with a picture of a gladiator and stuff like that. You know, and again, there's, you know, I might be poking fun at that, but if your audience responds to it, do it. And... And you're remembering it and you're talking about it right now. So there is an element of it that, that works. Okay, that's a good point. You know, yeah. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For so, sure. I mean, yeah. Even though it was cheesy, if if whatever their practice area is ever comes up as something that you need, you're gonna you're gonna remember them and at least even if you think, okay, their ads are super cheesy, but maybe I should give them a call because like I can't think of who else I need to call. Exactly. They're the first person that pops into your mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there is there is that. I mean, obviously we want to do better messaging wise than to just be cheesy and obnoxious and the only people can people can remember. But so going back, you were talking about generosity and social proof. So we're talking about the social proof kind of doing the case studies in some way that is obviously appropriate. And then and then how do you add in the element of generosity? Yeah, so on on my end from, you know, with the people that I normally work with, I work with a lot of consultants and it's really sharing your knowledge, helping people get quick wins, helping them navigate smaller things, I guess. And so, you know, the way I could see this playing out for a law firm is very, very similar. Now, obviously, like, you know, when it comes to navigating a, you know, a legal dispute or some sort of case, like, you know, that's going to be, you can't really share that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can maybe educate people on, you know, tips on how to navigate something if it comes up, uh, what to do. And it, this isn't always a give us a call and we'll help you figure it out. This is a, you know, hey, first do this, then do this, then do this, then give us a call, you know. So really just kind of helping people, you know, before something ever happens and helping them understand what to do when the time comes. So how is this different than what you would put on a website? How would you approach it differently in an email campaign versus putting that kind of content on a website? I'd probably do it really focused. Like 
or stay keep it really focused on one thing at a time. So okay. a website is a little bit more of tends to be a little bit more of a catch all and people view it once and then they go away, right? Where with email, you have the opportunity and this is one of the hidden kind of the hidden benefits of email marketing. Everybody wants to talk about ROI, 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 but but top of mind awareness and brand loyalty are crazy, crazy, amazing benefits of email marketing. And so I would, you know, kind of drip those things out one at a time, you know, periodically as a way to stay in front of people, to stay top of mind. Even if they don't read every email, if they see your name coming up in the inbox, you know, once a week, they're going to remember your name when the time comes for it. Okay, so how do you get those emails? How do you get them to sign up and get into their inbox to begin with? Typically, it's through some sort of a freebie, some sort of a, and by freebie, I mean like a a lead magnet. And by lead magnet, I mean a downloadable PDF, a a checklist, a cheat sheet, something like that. The, The best kinds of freebies are freebies that are actionable that give you a quick win or that give the reader a quick win, something to to take away. So I think the days of white papers, you know, seven ways to X, Y, Z, five tips for blah, blah, blah. You can find all that on a Google search. So yeah, uh, somebody's blog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the more actionable content you can create for a freebie, I think the more likely you are going to get people to to sign up for it. Yeah. Okay. So then that leads right into the next question that we kind of mentioned a little while ago. So you get the emails, somehow you've got a list or you've got a new email. Let's talk about a welcome sequence and why a welcome sequence and as compared to just a welcome email, I think a lot, I've heard a lot of people just say, okay, I've got a welcome email, like, you know, and then we're good. Why do you need to do a welcome sequence? Because nobody, it's it's difficult to expect somebody to be ready to do business with you when they just met you. So, or to assume that somebody trusts you after one, one engagement with you. It's just like a real human relationship, right? You know, would you trust somebody enough to marry them after your first date? Probably not. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. It's probably a new Netflix show about to be launched, but (laughs) I personally would not. So to clarify, a welcome sequence, this is not somebody who has um, signed on and you're welcoming welcoming them in as a new client. This is just someone who has given you their email address and has potential. Correct. Yeah. Now there there is an opportunity we can go into this later for an onboarding sequence, and that would be for somebody who is Uh, a new client. But the welcome sequence, so the first email of the welcome sequence is the welcome email. That's the first impression that somebody gets with you when they sign up, whether it's for a freebie or they sign up for a newsletter or something like that. The first email they get is a welcome email. And that is your first impression. It's like your first date. And what you're doing there is to try is you're trying to go ahead and establish to people that they're in the right place, that you're going to help them achieve, you know, whatever it is, and maybe ask them to quickly reply with, you know, what, why they signed up or, you know, what, what brought them here. Then the emails after that, the next four or five emails should probably, at least should probably be geared solely around trying to earn trust. And we talked about that through social proof, through 
case studies, through even sharing your own story. You know, there's the whole no like and trust factor of, of marketing. And so if if somebody knows, likes and trusts you, they're more likely to do business with you. So even telling stories about your firm or why you started it, or, you know, I actually did some messaging work with, with a guy back in 2019 who had a, a firm in South Carolina. And he started his firm out of a legal, because of a legal situation that happened to his mother when he was young. And he knew from that situation that he wanted to to start become a lawyer so that wouldn't happen to other people. So, you know, if you have a story like that, that's an amazing story to share. And it, it really kind of expedites that that no like and trust factor. So So what's the goal when you're doing this welcome sequence? Is the goal just to tell the story and to kind of be reminder and top of, or are you trying to get some kind of a response? Well, conversations, like I said, conversations are the lifeblood of a, of a service-based business. So if you can use those emails to start a conversation, you're going to, again, cement yourself as the go-to person much faster. So how would you do that? How would you kind of try to have a conversation? What, what kinds of questions or prompts would you have in order to try to get them to, to respond? Yeah, really easy questions. A lot of times I like to start with uh, you know, asking a very, very simple question and then giving three choices, A, B, or C. Reply with A, B, or C and let me know which one works for you or which one fits you best. Again, this is, you know, there's not a lot to do with this except to just kind of start the conversation. Again, the more you start a conversation and replies, in my opinion, are like the holy grail of engagement for email marketing. If you can get replies, you're getting buy-in from people. You're getting them to engage with you and to remember you and start conversations with you and get them used to having conversations with you, which is is so, so important. Yeah, and I'm picturing, you know, my inbox is, you know, like everybody else's inbox. Sure, and yeah. I like the idea of the very simple reply because I do sometimes, if it's a great email, I do want to reply, but I don't want to, like, type out a paragraph. So if there's a quick win on both of our sides where I can say, oh, that was a great email, or here's a quick response, that's giving, kind of recognizing that you're in someone's inbox. They probably want to kind of quickly move through, get to the next email. But if you've done a great job of that email, and there is a potential for reply for a reply, make it easy. Yeah, for sure. And you know, where this differs for a law firm as a you know, as opposed to a consultant, is that you only call a law firm when you need them, right? When something happens, typically. And so so at the end of a welcome sequence, typically there's an offer or you lead into a logical offer. And for a law firm, I don't know that I would necessarily do that. I would probably just kind of use the welcome sequence as a trust building mechanism, as a as just a way to kind of earn rapport, stay top of mind, and establish yourself as the go-to people. And then, you know, have a plan for continuing to stay in touch weekly, monthly, whatever. That's probably, with, you know, again, within every email, probably a very subtle call to action. Hey, if something's going up, if you, if you need us, here's a number, give us a call. Like, that's probably how I would approach it. Yeah. One example that I was just thinking of, you know, depending obviously on your practice area, but, you know, a firm that we work with that does different kinds of estate planning and, and things like that, there's different laws that pop up and all of a sudden that a affects people's estates or their trusts or whatever. And so as things change, they'll add that into their newsletter and say, hey, there's likely a change that might affect your plan, give us a call or send us an email, you know, just kind of these things that not only 
keep them in touch with their people and the people on the newsletter, but it also shows that they are on top of it. They're aware of these laws. They are the expert. They're the re- that's the reason that you hired them. So it's it's good branding all the way around. So just little things like, hey, we saw that this law changed in any practice area for, for the most part. There's stuff changing all the time. Like that's the reason you're a lawyer. <laughs> like that's so just, you know, even just mentioning it, and maybe that doesn't apply to a lot of people, but then it just kind of reinforces that, oh, okay, I do need this person and I may need them not now, but maybe six months down the road or something like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I know in, so that kind of covers that welcome sequence, that kind of a a series of emails that introduces them to you, talks about your story. So what other kinds of emails should firms be sending? And we, we kind of mentioned a newsletter. What other kinds of emails do you, would you put together for a service-based business? So one of the mistakes that a lot of marketers make is that they stop marketing at the point of purchase, at the point of becoming a client. And totally, which in my opinion, totally negates the second half of the customer journey, which is, you know, there's there's awareness, consideration, purchase, service, and loyalty, right? And so if you stop at the point of purchase, you're ne- you're negating the rest, you're neglecting the rest of that journey. And as a marketer, you should know that it is easier and cheaper to convince somebody who has become a first-time buyer to become a second-time buyer or to become a loyal fan, an advocate, than it is to get a first-time buyer or a cold prospect to become a first-time buyer. It's much easier and cheaper. So part of the email strategy that I help clients develop focuses on creating that extraordinary experience for their clients to, to making sure that their clients you know, that we hold their hand all the way through the process, that they know what's coming, that they know how to, to, you know, what to do after we stop working together. For example, I literally just did this for myself. I'm taking my own medicine right now. And after somebody engages on a project with me, I start them on an email sequence that kind of hits them head on with their, the fears that they're feeling when they leave our project five days later, five days later, five days later about what to do next, what to do next, what to focus on, just to make sure that, you know, they have a great experience all the way through. Because this is going to potentially lead them to, you know, maybe doing more business with me or referring me, or it's just going to give them a great experience, which they deserve. And so a and lot that of could potentially like give give them get yeah. get you a referral as well. Sure. So sure. just all those good feelings are for me, I, I always talk about this being your reputation and your brand. And that's 100 percent your marketing like that's your marketing is your reputation. And so you're just kind of reinforcing this idea of who you are and your brand and your reputation. For sure. That's that's literally all it is. I mean, literally, I tell people that email marketing is not, I mean, think of it as just an extension of yourself. That's it. So what kind of follow-up? Let's say you've done a project or let's put it in law firm's terms. They've kind of closed a case and moved on and kind of going very broad in general, not to a specific practice area, because there's certain practice areas where they probably wouldn't want to follow up if they're doing like criminal work or something like that. Let's hope that doesn't happen again. But let's say they've closed a case and what kind of sequence or emails should they be sending after that? Can you think of an example of a, of a practice area? Yeah, let's talk about estate planning. Let's say that they've kind of, you know, finished up an estate or a will or a trust and they close that up and it's done and, and they're, you know, paid and, and done. Okay. So what might a, a client be feeling after 
they've completed this? Are there any hesitations or any fears about what to do next, where to start? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because things change. Laws change all the time. You know, things come up. So yeah, I'm sure that they're unsure about, okay, I'm okay now, but what about next year? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And are there any follow-up processes or documents that they that they need, any steps that they need to take after their engagement with the law firm? I'm sure there all, are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all those things, all those kinds of things. If there's anything that they need to do, anything that they might be feeling after their engagement with you, there are things that you want to address. Um, our emails are any email marketing should be all about the the prospect or all about the client and what they're thinking in the moment, what they're feeling in the moment, addressing that head on, calling it out and helping them navigate it. So again, after, you know, so my main strategy to my main deliverable is a strategy PDF that I help somebody develop like a whole big strategy for their business and then give them an outline for a welcome sequence, which is, you know, the first step for them. So even after we do all that and we get on a call and we review it together, I know that people will get off that call and they'll feel great and excited. And then tomorrow when they sit down to actually start writing this stuff or start planning it out, they'll go, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where do what I start? What did he say? I can't remember what, what he what said. Is, there what was is something this? really yeah. good. Yeah, right. And so don't worry. I know that you're feeling that. So I've got an email queued up that's going to remind you to stay focused on this one thing that I told you. And it's going to help point you to the next steps. And then five days later, I've got something else that's going to guide you to the next step. And so that's really all you're doing with kind of an onboarding or excuse me, an offboarding sequence is to really kind of anticipate the next week or two for them. And to continue to walk with them, even though you can't, you can't physically walk with them, nor do you want to if they're not necessarily paying you for, for your time. But it's just, a, it's just good practice. It's, just a, it's, it's a great customer experience if you can continue to walk with them for another week or two and hold their hand, make sure that they feel like they're not alone, remind them of anything that they need to do. You know, hey, make sure if you need to go to the courthouse and do this kind of stuff you know, make sure you put that on your calendar and do it, you know. Here's the address. Here's, Here's the how address. You get, yeah. yeah. Bingo. I can think of so many examples on the flip side where I've got a thing, whatever it is, bought something, got a service, whatever the thing is, and and had it land in my lap, just like you're describing, and then had didn't have any kind of follow-up. And everybody has this experience because that's the most common experience where you've just got this thing and you're overwhelmed and you're like, and it just sits there. And then you don't, number one, you don't get the full functionality out of whatever that thing is or the service or whatever. And and then you think, oh, okay, I'm not sure if I really think that was a great purchase. You start to question the entire the entire part of it. So just kind of coming back with I love this idea of anticipating those questions because you know what they are. If you've been doing whatever your job is for more than six months, you know what these questions are that people come back and ask you. So put it into a sequence. That just makes so much sense. You know, and and so that's, you know, some of the things you mentioned would be would be great for an onboarding sequence, especially for somebody who engages, you know, like a, like a law firm. If you're going to engage somebody over the course of the next month or two, they sign on with you, have an onboarding sequence queued up. And this is something that a lot of consultants, you know, they already have onboarding processes. They already have documents and processes and stuff like that. But and so the onboarding process is a customer experience play. But using e 
email is a tool for you to make sure that it happens. That's it. It's just a, it's a tool for you to just make sure that it happens. You can automate it or you can create some, you know, what I call swipe files. And those are basically just copy and paste and you can fill in the blanks on some customizable pieces. But one of those things that you, that you mentioned was that kind of buyer's remorse kind of, kind of thing. And that's something that you can totally address in an onboarding sequence. Again, we're just trying to, you know, uh, elevate the customer experience. So after somebody signs on with you in your onboarding sequence, include a, a case study of how you've helped somebody else. And it can be just like we talked about earlier. You can change the names, tell them, you know, hey, like this is a story that, you know, we've changed the names, we've changed some of the details, blah, blah, blah. But this, what this does is it assures people that they are in the right place, that the money you just spent with us, that you, the contract you just signed with us is the right thing. You're in the right place. We're going to, we're going to solve your problem just like we did for this person. Oh, I think that's so, so important because people are right in that, in that kind of in-between place. Like, oh, you know, I did this and they took that leap and then they're wondering, okay, was this the right decision? And you're, and you're just reinforcing the idea. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. It is time for the book recommendation. So I know that you've got a really good one. I'm excited to hear about this because I feel like this ties right into kind of a baseline, good foundation for everything that we've been talking about. So Jeff, what's the book that you're going to recommend to the audience? It's called Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. And it's all about how to position yourself. And this is different than brand messaging. So Karin, you told me that you know, story brand has been rec- recommended once or twice, I think. This is different than brand messaging. This is how to position yourself in, in the market relative to your competitors, relative to what you offer. It's fascinating. So we do a lot of positioning. And the way I describe it is that you start with the positioning and then you can pull some messaging out of there. But the foundation and the core of your firm, really, and all of your marketing and all of that good stuff is your positioning. So let's describe for people who haven't read the book or know what positioning is. So what what is that? And how does she describe it? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sh- Gosh, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this. It's been a while. That's okay. She is the way positioning is the way that you talk about your brand and what you offer relative to other brands in the market. Would you agree with that? I do. Yeah, I when we were when I was doing my MBA, the the book that our professor used and I don't know if you're familiar with Blue Ocean Strategy, but this the whole idea is that there's a blue ocean and a red ocean. The other way he described it is you kind of take two balls. So the example he used was to if you're kind of trying to find the position of a car. So the two variables were price and and quality. And then you chart out like, okay, here's where the market is. So BMW is over here high on price and quality. And then you've got Honda over in this part of the grid and whatever. And you chart out like where the market is. And then you look for an opening. And you say, okay, this is the little, this is the unit that I'm going to occupy. And you look for a unit that is not currently occupied. <laughs> because if you t- if you just decide to stand in the same little square as somebody else, then it's just a race to the bottom. Because then you're all you'd end up doing is competing on price. But if you find an open little square in your grid, 
then that's that's you. That's who you are. You define it. It's different. There's hopefully nobody else there. And you can say, okay, this is this is me and this is why I'm different. This is how I'm different from this person. This is how I'm different from that person. And then you you attract the right people and you repel the wrong people. For sure. Yeah. So I'm gonna give an example from April's book and I'm I'm gonna I'm probably gonna butcher it, but I hope it encourages you to actually go read the book because it's it's that good. So she talks about one specific company, and I, I can't remember exactly what this company does, but they they were calling themselves uh, a database, or they were calling their product a database. And on sales calls or sales conversations, they were getting very very little traction. People were just kind of you know yawning, you know looking at their watches. And very, very few people were actually engaging with them. And they had a conversation with somebody. And this person told them, they're like, you guys aren't like, why are you guys calling yourselves a database? You're not really a database. You're, you're a data warehouse. And so when they started thinking about it that way, they were like, oh, yeah, like we've been calling ourselves a database. And so we've been attracting people who are looking for databases, but we're not actually a database. But we're actually we blow any other data warehouse out of the out of the water like not even close so then they started positioning themselves as a data warehouse and all the people looking for a data warehouse were like oh my gosh this is the best thing ever you know and so positioning affects who you attract so it's not just how you position yourself against the competition i should probably clarify you know what i said earlier but it it affects who you attract the way you talk about what you do affects who you attract and if you're attracting the right kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we, when we're first working with a lot of clients, oftentimes the conversation starts with, we're getting all the wrong calls. We're getting calls and these aren't the kind of people we want to work with. Our dream is to do X, Y, Z, but right now we're doing ABC and it's killing us. You know, it, it, it isn't profitable. These people, you know, for all the following reasons, we, we can't keep doing that. And it always comes back to positioning. And then we start looking at, okay, well, what is your website and your messaging and everything saying? Well, it's speaking to those people you don't want. Like, you know, we're... We're getting calls about truck accidents. Well, why is that happening? Oh, it's weird because on your website, it talks about truck accidents. So like, if you don't want that, maybe we shouldn't talk about that on the website. <laughs> for sure. So, for sure. Yeah. It's more complicated than that. Obviously, you know, the positioning is, is much more nuanced and figuring out where you are in the market, who you're trying to attract. And it's more, you know, I'm oversimplifying it. But we have those conversations all the time. I'm sure you do too. Like, how do we figure out how to, how to aim towards the right people? Especially, I mean, you know, again, I think about all of the, the, the PI firm billboards I see everywhere, not just in my town, but like on the interstates everywhere. I mean, and, and it seems like that's a, a space that is so hard to stand out. And it's not just, as we talked about earlier, maybe this was before we actually started the call, but it's not just about the messaging. The messaging comes from the positioning. And so if you position yourself differently than say, you know, the rest of the PI firms, your messaging will be different and you will attract different kind of people. Exactly. Because I was going to say so much of that messaging is similar that we find it's actually pretty easy to stand out if you're just not doing all of that smarmy, same kind of cheesy messaging that everybody else does. It's pretty easy to say, okay, so say anything different. <laughs> like everybody else is saying one thing. 
well, okay, that leaves a lot of other stuff to say if we kind of have the right positioning, you know? So That's a really yeah, good I mean, point, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of firms that find comfort in saying the same thing as everybody else. It's like, okay, it must be working for that firm, so let's just do the same thing. But it's like, that's the opposite of positioning. That's putting yourself in the same little box as everybody else and then competing on price. So that's the worst place to be. All right, so Jeff, what's one thing that you know that works? In general, specific to email marketing, about you know whatever you know in in sales, whatever whatever you whatever the first thing is that pops in your mind. Okay, so this is related to exactly to what I do. One of my favorite marketers, her name is Caitlin Bergwan, and she said this about a month or two back, and it's stuck with me ever since. She said, "Trust is the currency of business," and so that is my one thing that works. If you can earn people's trust you will earn their business. If you cannot earn their trust, you will not earn their business. Yeah. And here's one thing that I say all the time is patience is a marketing activity as well. And trust requires patience. So it it doesn't happen overnight. You're, you don't trust anybody. Like unless you've got some kind of, you know, issues, childhood trauma issues or something where you trust anybody. You shouldn't trust anybody overnight in any kind of a situation. So it takes time. Recognize that it takes time and that in order to build a real strong, trustworthy reputation, that's going to take some time and you're going to have to be patient. And th- and there's kind of no way to short shortcut that. There, Yeah, exactly. There's not. But I mean, it should it should be fun. I mean, it should be it's part of the process. But I would say, actually, I would amend that because I do think these email campaigns are a really solid way to stay top of mind. I mean, to just bring it full circle <laughs> for the whole topic today. I do think you can really solidly build trust with some great, consistent email campaigns. So that's one of the, you know, again, people talk about ROI and they want conversions and you know, clicks and that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> again, for service-based brands, it's it's just a little bit different. And one of the things that I talk about for service-based brands that have a sales cycle, that's a key dif- differentiator there. If you have a clear sales cycle, a welcome sequence can shorten or expedite that sales cycle. Uh, it may not necessarily get you a conversion right at the end of that seventh or eighth email or whatever it is, but it will significantly shorten that sales cycle and earn, help them help to establish that no like and trust factor sooner. Yeah, and just the no like and trust combined with just reminding them, "Oh, hey, I meant to do that." Like or, you know, I really need to get on top of that. Where was that email and bang, there's another one and it just reminds them and kind of once again staying top of mind. Jeff Felton is an email marketing strategist and we will link to all your social media, website, all that good stuff on the show notes. And obviously the book recommendation as well. Obviously awesome. Thank you so much for being here. That was really useful. I feel like email marketing campaigns and email marketing in general is really underrated. So the, you know, the overall topic about why it works, because it really does work, is it's really important. And for some reason, it just doesn't seem like it gets talked about enough. So thanks again for being here. That was a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was an honor. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.